it's important to embrace where you are, always know where you want to go, but enjoy the journey because otherwise you're just going to be depressed and, and be miserable. If you're constantly thinking like, well, my life doesn't look the way I want it to yet, you know? As a kid, thumbing through a comic book could transport us to other worlds, flying through the universe at the speed of light, watching immortal enemies battling to the death. And some of us never grew out of it. Welcome to the Under the Mask Podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Cologne. Under the Mask Podcast, Episode 8. Today I'm talking with an amazing creator who's an expert on building his audience quickly, both with his webcomics and also his YouTube channel. And he's got some great wisdom to impart. My guest today is a freelance artist, creator, and rising YouTube star. He's the creator of webcomics, Soul of the World, and Odyssey Incorporated. Both of his books are live on Webtoons, and his latest episode, The Twin Bengals, is live on Kickstarter through May 28th. Go check out his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash danekis. That's youtube.com slash D-A-N-E-K-I-S. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Ekes. Thanks for coming on, Dan. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's good to see your face again. Yeah, it's good to see you, man. It's uh, nice, uh, you know, with all the COVID-19 going around and uh, everybody having the stay-at-home orders, it's nice just to see other people by doing this. Oh, yeah, for sure. This is this has become my social life, <laughs> podcasting. Yeah. So uh, tell me about your story and how you got to be where you are today. I would say um, I was bitten by a radioactive artist when I was about 13. Um, not really. I had just been drawing my whole life. Always had a knack for drawing, telling stories, comics. Started making my own comics. Comics at a very early age, and um, always wanted to do it professionally. Always wanted to tell my own stories, but never quite knew what form that would take. So I went to school for animation, did a four-year program at a state school here in Pennsylvania, and did a lot of partying, not a ton of working on my art. And when I got out of school, the party was kind of over, and I was like, "Well, that really didn't get me anywhere." And I was, I just went into like a real deep depression. Like, okay, I'm not where I want to be. I, I thought if you just went to college like that was the guarantee to get a good job and like do all the things you want to do but it turned out it wasn't that's not the way the world works so that's when I decided to become a professional artist and start freelancing I figured hey my portfolio is not that good I can't really get a job I'm going to figure out how to just give myself a job and and get clients so I started doing that and I found out ways to um, I started getting work as an animator and video editor did that for a few years a lot of animation jobs the money was good 
good. But then my heart wasn't in it after a time. It became very much like the projects felt kind of cookie cutter. And I felt like I wasn't growing as an artist. So I said, well, I want to I want to draw and tell my own stories. So what can I do that's in that vein? I figured comics and illustration. So I used my freelancing skills to um, start finding clients in that work and uh, that field of work. And that's what I do now full time. So when exactly did you get started with drawing? Uh, you said you'd been doing it all your life. Was there a moment where you went from just doodling in your notebook to taking it seriously? I, if there is, I don't remember it. Honestly, Bill, there was, um, my mom kept a lot of my old drawings from when I was a kid. And like the earliest one that we found was one from like two years old and it was like scribbles and I titled it like mouth or something like my mom. T- I don't I guess that's what I called it. I, I just, my whole life I've known this is what I wanted to do. But um, I, I guess you would say when I graduated college was the point where I was like, I don't want to just be a dreamer. I want to be a doer because there comes a time in everyone's life we all have these dreams and things. We say, you know, someday I'd love to be able to do that. And I got to the point where I'm like, you got to do it, man. You got to just start working hard to make it happen. So it was probably when I graduated college that I got serious. All right. Hey, well, tell us about Odyssey Inc. So Odyssey Inc. is, it's basically like Indiana Jones meets the Rocketeer. It's very much inspired by um, a lot of different globetrotting adventure series like Uncharted or Tintin, you name it. Those kind of stories where you have characters going to exotic locations, different countries, experiencing different cultures. That's basically the gist of the series. The graphic novel that I'm doing right now has the the team of heroes that go to Southeast Asia to rescue a couple of tigers from being sold on the black market. And they're going up against the illegal wildlife trade, which is actually a real world thing. Tigers are almost on the verge of extinction and due to like poaching and things like that, which is a whole nother subject. Yeah, that's that's the gist of the series. Yeah, I just learned that of all places from Tiger King, where uh, they, there's more tigers in captivity in the United States than there is out in the wild. There is. There, I believe there's about 12,000 in captivity in the U.S. alone. There's only about 3,000 in the wild on the entire planet. And to put things in perspective, in about 100 years ago, about 100,000 tigers in the wild. Over 90% of the world's tiger population has been wiped out within 100 years. And you think about if 90% of humans were wiped out in a 100-year span, it would be the biggest tragedy ever. But because it's a species that isn't us, we just don't even talk about it, don't even think about it. Uh, So now, obviously, uh, the series that you have up on Kickstarter right now, or I should say the episode up on Kickstarter right now, uh, it's called The Twin Bengals. Tell us more about the series up on Kickstarter. Um, So we actually got funded and currently trying to figure out some stretch goals that we can start implementing. We've well passed our goal by like $500 already. The support has been really great. I'm really grateful for everyone. A lot of friends, family, people who follow me on YouTube and Webtoon. We have about 10,000 readers of the webcomic version of Odyssey Inc. So a lot of them, I think, chipped in and and we're really excited to get the physical book because this is the first physical one that we've been able to print. I figured it was time to get serious and see what I could do with the platform now that I actually have an audience. So it's been really good so far. And uh, what was the original inspiration for you to start Odyssey Inc.? I'm not sure. Probably like, I think the original idea was one I had in high school where I used to write a lot of superhero comics. 
I don't really write superheroes anymore. Um, I'll read it. I'll, I'll read stories other people have done, like your series and stuff. But I don't really do that anymore myself. But the original idea was to have a team of heroes for hire. They were going to be like a private security firm. And they would get hired to be bodyguards or to, to do various odd jobs and, and use their abilities as heroes in that way for profit. So that's kind of the idea with Odyssey Inc. It's more they're like they're a private expedition company. So they're world travelers that go to the most dangerous parts of the globe for a price. They'll take you into the Amazon jungle to find a lost treasure or a, a lost city, you know, and that sort of thing. So that was the original idea. It evolved out of just superhero comics that I read when I was in high school. And I think that the shift to have it be more of like a pulp adventure thing was very much inspired by like Indiana Jones. I grew up watching those films, have a lot of love for them. I just wanted to get away from doing just superheroes all the time. So it's it's much more pulp adventure, globe trotting, swashbuckling type of stuff. That's funny you mentioned Indiana Jones. That was inspired a lot by the old, uh, you know, the old serials from the uh, the movie serials from the 40s and 50s. It very much has that same feel and that same vibe. Yeah, definitely. And I actually looked to that's that's one thing if you're a creator you never want to just have influences and do what they did. You want to find out who were their influences, really dig deep to see, get to the core of like where their ideas came from, because you'll see things in the original source material that they never did. So yeah, I've looked into like King Solomon's Mines and um, just classic adventure fiction, classic pulp adventure magazines. That's a, a whole other topic we could talk about. But a funny thing that you find about the adventure genre is that everyone was really racist back in the day. And the way that they would depict other cultures was really like cringeworthy. It doesn't age very well, which is a shame because there is something fun about experiencing other cultures and about traveling to exotic locations. But the way that it's done in you know the pre-civil rights era where from the 1930s up to the 50s and things where you had these, these stories. Um, it was very like insensitive, I'd say. So I kind of just wanted to take the good things about the adventure genre and update it for our modern times where we live in a very diverse country in the U.S. and all types of people are reading comics. You know, we're, we're much more focused on inclusion and just being respectful, I guess, and not being racist. So that was one big thing I wanted to do with the series. And now you have a, a preview on the Kickstarter page and anyone who goes there and looks at it, uh, I implore him to do it because the artwork on there is beautiful. How did you d develop your signature style with the artwork? Well, thank you, Bill. Um, for inspiration for my style, it's been a lot of different influences. One of the main original ones was uh, Milo Manara. He's an Italian comics artist. He's mostly known for doing like erotic comics, but he's done a couple of adventure comics with uh, Hugo Pratt, who was another influence on me. But for Milo Manara's style, I loved his simplicity and the way that he would also have like such realism and believability to his characters with just such simple line work a lot of the times whereas in American comics it's everything's like very heavily hatched and things like that and in Minara does he does do like a lot of hatching and detail it's it's done in such a unique way so I really took inspiration from him and said like and part of it's just my lack of knowledge and skill as an artist I just don't know how to do hatching like that very well so I figure hey if I could just go simple keep it clean 
I just, and it's also a quicker way to tell a story. My real passion is telling the story, getting it out there. I don't really much care. I love drawing, but I don't really care about spending my whole life drawing one book. I want to, I want to tell thousand stories. So that was, he was probably the biggest inspiration. Now that you're doing a printed book, what differences have you found there are between doing a web comic versus doing a printed version? Um, most of it, not much because I've, I've always envisioned it being a print comic and having a hard copy. I really, I draw the pages just like they're a regular standard American size comic. And then I actually chop them up and format them for Webtoon. So first and foremost, it, I draw it as a print comic. And then the web comic is more like an afterthought as a way to market the story and help get exposure and support for it. I guess the thing that's new for me is doing a graphic novel. I've only done like floppies before. Now that I'm doing a hardcover, I had to shop around and find a printer that was going to be able to do a, a nice hardcover because I didn't want to do a soft cover. I just wanted something that would be like a nice like collectible that would last a long time. So that's been the only real difference is just like the logistics of how do we like print this thing and, and get it out there. Yeah. And you already know going from a web comic to a floppy, there's going to be some printing expenses involved in that. But then the printing expenses just go up when you go from a single issue to a soft cover, trade paperback. And then they go up even more when you go up to that hardcover. Yeah, it'll be worth it though. That's the great thing about Kickstarter is, you know, a thing I learned with you're doing a graphic novel, people actually pledge more on average for graphic novels as opposed to a single issue comic. So that's why I feel it's been easier to uh, hit my goal. And on average, people are pledging a lot more than previous Kickstarters I've done. So that's cool. So how has Webtoons been treating you? It's been great. I um, I had some friends who had good experiences with it and artists that I was following who were able to get traction and build an audience on there. So I figured I'd just test it out and see if I if I could build an audience for myself. I did a um, fantasy comic that was on there and wound up getting like a thousand followers for that one. Webtoons promoted me. You know, they'll, they'll promote comics that they like if you're consistent enough with putting your stuff out there. And that's just a general life bit of advice that things don't always start off like big. Like I didn't start off with the 10,000 followers on my webcom. Started off with like, you know, 20 <laughs> and eventually crept up to a thousand on my first comic. And then that ended. I moved on to Odyssey Inc. And um, it still took some time to build up the audience. And some people came over from my old one, but not, not a lot. But eventually, you know, again, Webtoons wound up promoting my series on the on the homepage. And that's where the 10,000 came from. So yeah, if anything that you're trying to accomplish in life, if if it you're not seeing massive results right now, that's totally normal. And that's okay. Just persist, just keep at it and keep trying to make the best thing that you can make. And eventually people will take notice if you're doing good work. Yeah, and that's a, uh, a theme that comes up a lot is consistency. Uh, just talking to the creators that I've spoken with already, uh, you know, with the newsletter, you know, it doesn't matter whether it goes out every week, every month, every quarter, it just has to go out consistently. Mm -hmm. People have to know that it's coming and then you get the people who will read it every time it comes out. Yeah. And yeah, like you were saying that go, that's expands to other stuff in life. Yeah, it does. The way I always think about this, I've talked about this on my YouTube channel before bill is there's this thing like the the pyramid of success is the way that I always think about it where because people, they see people who are ha doing what they want to do and, and accomplishing their dreams and they say, well, that person is just lucky or they were privileged or they were born rich or they were this or that or, you know, they're white, I'm black, whatever it may be. You know, you hear all kinds of, of excuses from people, some of which are very valid, honestly. But when you think about it, everyone starts off at the bottom. That's the bottom of the pyramid. It's really wide. There's a lot of creators 
you know, it's, it's tough to, to get your voice heard. But then you move up the pyramid five years and it's a little thinner. A lot of people got shaved off the sides and there's those people who are still hanging on to their dream. And then you move up five more years and then five more years and then 10 more years. And all the way to the top is this select few people who just didn't give up their dream. You know what I mean? I found tremendous inspiration. Like I've been a lifelong fan of hip hop. A lot of hip hop artists, these kids come from extreme poverty, very difficult backgrounds. And yet they go on to become millionaire artists. Like you can do that too. You know what I mean? They're just people who didn't give up and they worked really hard to get to where they want to be. So um, I always just look for uh, inspirational stories of other people, whether that be artists, whether that be historical figures, whether that be friends of mine, you know, people like you, Bill, you inspire me. Look for people who are who have faced adversity and gotten past it and able to they've been able to have success. And that's one of the things that really keeps me going. Yeah. And a lot of times when somebody is an overnight sensation, they may be an overnight sensation big to the industry that they're in. But we as outsiders haven't seen the hard grind and hustle that they put, you know, we're doing all nighters, trying to do everything to, you know, record that song late at night or try to hustle to get the money to go to the recording studio or hire the artist or what have you. You're in comics, you're making comics for about 10 years, and then all of a sudden you'll be an overnight sensation. Yeah. And that's the way it seems when you look at, like, in the, with the case of musicians, I use this example so often because it's, they're, they're in the spotlight. So they're very visible examples of what happens when you don't give up your dream. Uh, musicians start off recording demo tapes in garages or in their mom's basement. They never start off with like this big prestigious first album that just blows people away. They're, they're doing mixtapes and they're doing smaller things on the side. You know, I know people in the hip hop and music industry here in Pittsburgh and they're relatively unknown, but I see their talent. I'm like, this person's going to be famous, man. If they just keep doing this, you can really see the seedlings of, of greatness and people. So yeah, it's, it's 10 years of becoming overnight success. I always think of that as well. You know, when, when you see other people, it's easy also to look at people and say, well, they're, they're doing it and I'm not. And I've had people say that to me, like, well, you're a professional artist, Dan, you've already made it. I'm like, yeah, but there's people I look at who I say they made it and I haven't. I draw for clients, I draw comics and illustrations, but I don't get to draw my own stuff full time yet. And that's where I want to be. So I'm, st- I'm constantly working towards the next level. And even when I get there, I'm sure there's going to be new levels I want to hit. I want to make an animated film and I want to do a lot of things it's important to embrace where you are, always know where you want to go, but enjoy the journey because otherwise you're just going to be depressed and and be miserable. If you're constantly thinking like, well, my life doesn't look the way I want it to yet. You know, Uh, you know, and you had spoken a little bit uh, before about depression and I know uh, mental illness has come up several times just talking with creators. Do you think a career in arts has any correlation or a different correlation to uh, a mental health? Honestly, I'm not a mental health professional. Professional, I'm really not qualified to say. I can just, I can only speak from my own personal experience. And I really don't understand my depression that well or where, what the root of it was. But looking back on my whole life, I've always had that thing where it's like, I don't know, it's, it's always been there. And I didn't know it was depression until a friend of mine, he's a, a counselor. I was telling him that I looked up the symptoms of depression. I'm like, I have all the symptoms of depression, man. I'm depressed. He's like, when he's like, well, when you read those symptoms, everyone has them. <laughs> like the whole world's depressed by by definition. 
I don't know if there's a correlation between being a creative professional. I do know that you have to guard your mental health and really be intentional about creating a positive mindset because otherwise, you know, you'll you'll go insane. You see it with entertainers and, and musicians or actors who they, they go into drugs or alcoholism and sometimes ends in death. It ends very badly for some people. And I don't know what it's like to be famous, so I'm not judging anybody. You got to be careful. And, and even like when you're in, I've been in relative obscurity until like the past year when my audience started taking off. And there was years of me just working in the studio, nobody taking notice. And uh, yeah, there's those moments where you're like, is this ever going to pay off? And it's, it feels like it's not happening. But you got to remind yourself, you're planting the seeds of your future today. So whatever you want your future to look like, plant the seeds today. Work on that idea work on that project, make connections with people in your field like we're doing. And you don't know how it's going to pay off, but it's going to pay off eventually. So I feel it's just really important to stay positive, stay optimistic. I'm a big fan of uh, personal development, um, which is like self-help books, which I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but it saved my life when I was depressed, you know, just finding these books and these encouraging words and, and from different authors and being able to understand that that doesn't have to be my life forever. I can change myself and I can change the way my life looks. What has been your best moment so far in comics? Best moment. I don't know that it's a uh, one particular moment, but my favorite part of the day is waking up. And the first thing I do in the mornings, I usually like stretch, I'll meditate and things like that. And then first thing I do is I write and I work on a comic script and just working on my stories early in the morning with nothing but me and a cup of coffee and these characters in this world. It's, it's the most fun that I have in anything ever. Just being able to do that every day, I feel truly blessed, even though I'm not, I don't really get paid for that. And nobody really pats me on the back for that until the story is out into the world. But it's, it's the best, you know, so it's not really one moment. It's, um, it's definitely just every day working on these stories and really staying true to that, that kid that I, I used to be and that's still in me who just wanted to bring these ideas to life and, and staying true to him. That's what feels best to me. And being a writer and an artist, do you do you write the scripts before you start the art or do you start the art with the kind of an I do more of a Marvel method and like start the art and kind of work concurrently through it? Yeah, no, I, I have to have a script. Otherwise, um, I wouldn't know what to draw. It's it's very much a systematized approach. I, I'll have the story. I'll, I'll have a whole outline and I know where everything's going, the different elements I'm going to have. But as I'm writing, I have, you can see a notebook here. Um, I have these notebooks and where I write down story ideas. So this is like an outline on this side, but on this side, I've got, you know, character sketches that I'm doing because I'm always thinking about, well, how is this character going to look? What's their personality going to be like? So that does help being able to do both. But yeah, I have to have an outline. I have to, and then I move into a script and the script is very specific about panel one, panel two, panel three, panel four. So every page that I sit down to draw, I say, okay, it needs this many panels. Here's what's happening in each of the panels. And that makes things a lot easier. That's funny. I feel like sometimes I do it backwards because I'm, I'm not really an artist, but when I'm writing my script, 
script, I will storyboard. I'll, I'll draw it on the piece of paper, how I think it's going to look or how I think a couple pages will look. And then I go back and I like retrofit and I bring up the word process and say, okay, what's happening in this one? All right. And then, then I type it all out. Yeah. And that can be helpful. I just, a friend of mine, Sam Rashada, I don't know if you met him, but he hired me to draw a couple pages of his comic. And he actually did that. He sketched out some like rough thumbnails, um, just showing like the rough camera angle placement of the characters and everything. And it was really helpful for me as an artist to see like, okay, he has this very specific vision in his head. And I've seen writers like Grant Morrison, a lot of people do that too. I usually don't pass the the layouts that I do to the artist because mm-hmm. uh, most artists that I've worked with or that I've talked to, they've said, well, you know, we don't like that. We're, you know, it's their, it's their job to do the art, but you're on the other side of that spectrum where you say, no, that's really helpful. Um, I usually tend to only do that unless I have a very specific page layout. Yeah, it's, um, well, it's, as an artist, the more prompt that I get from clients when the more detail that they put into the scripts and things like that, it's a lot more work because I have to read through it five times, think about, okay, here's all these details they want included. That's, I got to like find reference for all this stuff. I got to make sure I have a camera angle that depicts all of these things while also doing it in a way that's visually interesting and conveys an emotion. So yeah, the, the more detail you have, it can be tough. It's, a, it's also good to know that you're, you're hitting the mark on, on what the vision is. And uh, don't ever read through one of uh, Alan Moore's scripts as an artist. Yeah, uh, his scripts, oftentimes the panel descriptions will go off on tangents that have, you know, about real life current events. Uh, who was it? His artist was would say, uh, you know, I work with Alan Moore and it's it's great. He's a he's a genius. But I have to go and highlight what's actually important, what I actually need to do. <laughs> yeah, there's a balance for sure. Yeah, I, I even have to do that with myself, you know, because I have so many ideas for visually what things can look like. But I also leave it open to interpretation when I sit down to draw it. Because sometimes when I'm looking up photo reference, I'll find some reference that'll be like, this is better than what's in my head. I'm going to go with this. So being flexible, as long as you're you're hitting the important points and you're telling the story, conveying the necessary emotion, and everything's true to the essence of what you're trying to communicate. What have been your biggest challenges and options? obstacles starting out? I'd say my skill level was probably the biggest barrier because I, again, when I was in school, I wasn't very disciplined and I didn't really hone my abilities very much. So when I got out, my portfolio wasn't great. And I really had to work hard to get to a point where people would hire me. And even once I started getting hired, my work still wasn't that great, but at least I was getting paid and you don't have to be that good. That's another good life lesson. Whatever it is you want to do, you don't have to be great, but you got to get started to be great. Once I I was able to start doing this full time, I saw my skill rapidly start to increase just because I'm drawing all day. I'm getting paid to practice essentially. But if you could look back at some of my early professional work, it wasn't very good. And um, I I hope that inspires people to be like, well, if, if you're lacking in different areas, that's okay. You know, there's someone out there who will still see you as an expert in in your particular field and you can get better as you go along. I feel that sometimes when I go to conventions or when I have people reach out to me and say, uh, you know, Bill, how did you get published? How did you do this? It's just funny being in a position where people will actually look up to me for advice and stuff. And there's much more qualified people out there to give advice. Yeah. Well, that's that's a very enlightening thing that I've found is the more I go through life and the more things you start to uh, have success at, the more you realize that the people you look up to and put on a pedestal, they're just people like you who just decided to pursue their particular endeavors. If you're doing that, 
all of a sudden people see you like, oh, this person's going places. And really, you're just a person who's on the path of mastery. You know, that's the path we're all on as artists. It, it, it gives me a lot of confidence knowing that just because someone's super famous or super rich or super whatever, whatever they have going on that you look at them and think, wow, this person's really got it going on. Again, just remind yourself, they're just people and they're on a different path than you. And they're also added probably at a different stage of their journey than you are. They probably, if they're have if someone is successful, they've probably been at it for 10 plus years. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. I get people coming to me for advice all the time. And that's, that's, I've had that same exact thought where it's like, I'm just some dude. <laughs> like you don't understand, man. Just cause I have, you know, 16,000 YouTube subscribers and all this. I'm still just some guy. Again, your heroes, they're just people. And it's it's important to realize that. So any anything that you see other people doing and having success at, you can have success at as well. Uh, how long has your YouTube channel been live? Probably like four years, but I, I've only been doing weekly videos for about two years or something like that. And originally I started off doing like a podcast for animators and I would just do that whenever I could. And it was like probably one to two years of that, just like randomly doing a podcast once in a while. But as soon as I started doing the weekly content and specifically doing shorter videos, that's when I started to see growth. Uh, That was going to kind of go into my next question. Have you found that that helped significantly for building your fan base? Oh yeah. That's, that's been my main, besides Webtoon, that's been my main platform that I've seen the most growth on. But I would say for, for anyone, everyone's different. Cause there are people who have great success on uh, Instagram building a following. And I really haven't focused on Instagram that much. Um, my following's pretty small over there, but um, there's people who they, they, that platform suits their personality and the way that they think and the way that they like to present their work and it works for them. So whatever works for you, really. I would say if if you want some actionable tips, building a following, no matter what you're doing, I feel the core things that you need to keep in mind are be on a platform where there are a lot of eyeballs. YouTube is a platform. It's one of the biggest search engines in the world. So that's why I'm on there. And also make sure you're making content, packaging the content in a way that's highly attractive to your particular niche. So you want to figure out like who you, who are the people that you want to provide content for. For me, at the end of the day, I want people to read my comics, but the niche that I'm going after is more like artists for my channel. So even though like a lot of my non-artist friends follow my channel for some reason, but I get people into my comics through the YouTube channel and all of my videos though, they're when you look at the titles and the thumbnails and everything, it's highly, highly tailored to artists who want to make a living as artists. And that's how I know I'm going to get them in the door because I know there's a lot of people who share a passion for monetizing their work like I do. So I want to serve them. I want to provide value for them. And that's, that's what's going to get people in the door. And that's where a lot of creators fall flat. And they say, well, I'm doing all this content creation. I'm not getting any audience growth. And most of the time, it's just because they don't know who their niche is. And they're not like making, they're not presenting the content in a way that their target audience is going to see and be like, oh, this is for me. Subscribe. This is me right here. So that's, that's the most important things I'd say. 
another thing I always like to tell people is if something's not working, change your course, not your destination. Because a lot of people will say, well, I've tried building an audience online and it didn't work. Well, maybe you're on the wrong platform or maybe you just weren't going about it the right way. Maybe you got bad information about how to build an audience from someone. You don't have to give up your dream of doing what you want to do. But some a lot of the times the way that you'll get there might be different. A good example would be this for me right now. Like I'm in a, a season of my life where I'm actually looking for a literary agent bill for my next graphic novel. Because for the longest time, I was so fixated on, okay, I want to make a living doing my own comics. I have to build an audience and I have to like make enough money from that audience to be able to support myself. But now I'm finding out there's a lot of boom with like the YA graphic novel market. And I'm actually, actually have a YA graphic novel script. So I'm like, well, maybe I could just get an advance from a publisher because there are artists who do that. So now I'm thinking, well, maybe the direction I go in, the course that I take to get to my destination could be different than what I thought it was. So I'm always be open to, to new opportunities, but always have your end goal in mind and just realize that the path to getting there may look different than you envision. Well, uh, what were the biggest mistakes you've made? Biggest mistakes, the first one that comes to mind would be not managing my money properly. So I recommend, I mean, I'm not really someone who's qualified to give financial advice, but I'll just say as a general, again, bit of life advice, track your spending and look at your money situation on a regular basis. Know how much money you have coming in, know how much money you're spending and putting out. And when I first started doing that, I would look at like my credit card statements and I would just see, I had all these like subscription services and all these things that I just never use. And it's like over a hundred bucks a month that I'm shelling out for all this stuff. <laughs> and, you know, so it's like, you're, you're just hemorrhaging money a lot of times. And, and also uh, a thing that's helped me a lot recently is um, automatic deposits with my bank. A lot of banks let you take an automatic amount every month and just place it in your savings. So I do that for my taxes now. I'll set aside my taxes automatically. I don't even have to think about it. And I also set aside like 10% of the money I'm making into my savings. And that's a good feeling to look up after a few months and say like, wow, I got a good bit of money stocked away for a rainy day. It's a, it's a good feeling. So manage your money. That's, that's the number one thing that I've struggled with. Uh, when you were starting out, what was the best advice that you received? Um, don't give up. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had a lot of great advice over the years. I'd say that is probably the number one thing that if you never give up, you'll always win. I just, I was listening to a talk with Neil Gaiman. He was talking about this exact thing where he'd say like, he looked at his career of being a writer as this mountain and everything that he did, he would say, well, is this taking me further away from the mountain or closer to it? And he knew that as long as he was moving closer to the mountain, everything would be okay. And that's that's the way that I look at things. As long as we're on the path, as long as you're staying true to yourself and moving in the direction of what you want in life, I think you're good. And it's, it's hard to go wrong when you follow your heart. Your Kickstarter is live now. Uh, where can we find your Kickstarter? Um, Kickstarter.com. If you look up Odyssey Inc., I-N-C, period, um, it should pop up. And uh, where else can we find you online? Um, you can go to danekis.com, D-A-N-E, ekis.com. You can actually get a free preview of the comic if you sign up for my newsletter as well. And I put out like tips on building confidence, overcoming self-doubt, and just following your dreams essentially uh, on there. So people can sign up for my newsletter and there's a link to my YouTube channel and all that as well on my website. And are you uh, active on social media? Yeah, mostly just YouTube. I do post on Instagram once in a while. Ekis Dan, E-K-I-S-D. A N 
on Instagram, Dan Ekus on YouTube. YouTube's probably where you'll find me most active. Hey, well, Dan, uh, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, great hanging out, Bill. Thanks for the invite, man. It was really cool to, to catch up. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.